and welcome to episode 17 of Mo Money Mo Houses, the personal finance podcast with a dash of sass. I am your host, Jessica Morehouse, and today I'm very excited. My guest is pretty well known in the personal finance sphere. You probably already know his name. Preet Banerjee is joining me on the program today. And if you're not familiar with him, he has quite the resume, I must say. Not only is he a blogger and podcaster himself, but he also writes for the Globe and Mail as a contributing editor for Money Sense. He's a panelist of the CBC, a television host. The list goes on and on. So I'm very excited to talk to him about just kind of his journey. He has a kind of a crazy story from where he started to where he is now. He's a speaker, he's a money expert, but. He wasn't always an expert. Thank you so much, Preet, for joining me on the show today. It's my pleasure to be here. Oh, wow. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, So let's kind of start from the beginning. I want to know, I, you know, did a little research on you, but I couldn't find the dirt. So let's start, like, what happened, (laughs) you know, from growing up to adulthood? What makes you assume there is dirt to be had? I don't know. (laughs) There's got to be. You're a famous person, no? Uh, No, no. All right. So how how far back do you want to go? Like, do you want to go to when I was just a a glint in my father's eye? Or No, not that far. That's a bit (laughs) too far for me. But um, did money influence, did did you learn anything in childhood that kind of influenced you as you grew up about money and personal finance? Nothing that stuck. Um, So I remember I was my grade four class treasurer, and it was because my dad said, well, you should save 20% of whatever you earn. So just tell them that. So I went up and made my presentation. I said, you know, I'm going to be responsible and save 20% of what we earn. I had no idea what that actually meant in grade four. It's like, what's a percentage? I don't know. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. My dad told me to say this. Um, So I became the class treasurer. But again, that didn't stick because it didn't mean anything to Mm -hmm. me. Uh, However, my first job was working at McDonald's. Mm -hmm. And after my very first paycheck, my dad marched me to the bank and said, you're going to set up uh, an automatic contribution into a mutual fund. My God. And, And I had to pick the mutual fund. So again, I didn't know anything. I was... Oh, geez, what was I, 15 at the time? Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did was I looked in the newspaper, and back then, Jessica, they put <laughs> mutual fund prices in the newspaper. Amazing. And there was like hundreds and hundreds of lines. So what did I do, knowing nothing? I decided to look at the one that had the best one-year performance, and it was the Altamira Resource Fund, and it returned 108% for the last year. Hmm. So I said, well, that looks pretty good. I'll just put all my money into that. <laughs> So I did that, and I was saving regular. I, I forget what the exact dollar amount was, like twenty-five or fifty bucks every two weeks, something mm-hmm. like that. And it was accumulating, accumulating. And then in university, I took it all out to have a big party. So again, wasted. So that lesson didn't really <laughs> stick. And what's yeah. interesting is that years later, I met the fund manager who managed that fund. Oh wow! Yeah, because I, I worked as a, as a stock an investment mm-hmm. advisor for a while. And every now and then, these fund managers come to the branches to say, here's why you should buy our funds and whatnot. And, uh, and I met him. And mm-hmm. so I thought that was kind of funny. Was that mutual? Sorry, did that mutual fund do well? Or Yeah, at one point I calculated how much, had I kept on contributing into it, yeah. I would have had at that point. It was something like, I don't know, like 35000 bucks or something like that. Um, but, uh, no, lesson learned, I guess. Yeah. Wow. Cool. So how did you, then how, if that didn't really influence you, how, what did as you grew up? Is it just kind of like trial and error? You just kind of learned by making mistakes or, or how'd you get interested in that kind of world? Well, I guess I could 
put it back onto my father. So he gave me a number of books to read, and I was gravitating towards books on personal finance and investing. So my dad says I had planned my retirement when I was like 12, um, <laughs> but I didn't do anything. But I was really fascinated about you know compound interest, and if you start really early, you'll accumulate a lot mm-hmm. more money. Mm-hmm. But again, that didn't really stick. And my uh, well, my parents are Indian, and mm-hmm. uh, any good Indian child knows you grow up and you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, and that's that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was sort of the plan was to follow in my dad's footsteps and go into the sciences. I didn't really know uh, what path I was ultimately going to go down, so I thought, oh, I guess I'll do this science stuff. Mm-hmm. And when I was in high school, one of my best friend's mothers was a nurse in the neuro ICU at Toronto Western General, mm-hmm. or Toronto General Western. And so she said, hey, listen, if you're interested, why don't you shadow the chief of neurosurgery uh, for a day and uh, you know, see if that piques your interest? Well, it did because I was exposed to the coolest things. Oh, like yeah. I was in the room for what's called an awake craniotomy. Oh, my gosh. And what that is is, uh, well, you're awake. They open yeah. up your head. And what they wanted to do was get to a tumor that was deep inside this person's brain. I still remember her name, but I can't tell you because of confidential no, <laughs> But it seems like so long ago, I still remember every detail of that day. Um, and so what they did was you can't just, you know, uh, burr a hole right you know, in a straight line to this, where this tumor was. You have to figure out the right path mm-hmm. because you want to make sure you're not hitting anything critical. Mm-hmm. So one of the exercises they did was they took a, an electrode and was just sort of lightly brushing her brain, like her actual brain, and said, you know, count to 10 or name some animals. And she would say, you know, one, two, three, four, zoo! And, and so that would indicate, well, that might be a critical point, so yeah. maybe try somewhere else. So anyways, wow. so that was the awake cranium. She was awake the entire time. It was fascinating. Yeah. And right at that time, so this was right as I was graduating high school, uh, University of Toronto had one of the first programs, undergraduate degrees in neuroscience. So I decided, mm-hmm. okay, well, that seemed pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Let me take this program, um, this undergraduate program in neuroscience. And so I did that. And about halfway through, I realized, well, actually, I kind of don't want to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, and I think during, that's normal when you're in university. You're like, wait a minute. Still trying to figure myself yeah. out. Yeah. Um, and then at the time, one of my friends took me to what's called a autocross. So this is an amateur racing event where you take your own car onto a closed off parking lot and you race against the clock. Is that legal? Yeah, totally oh. legal. Totally oh. sanctioned. Crazy. Um, and so I got bit by the automotive bug. And so when I graduated university, knowing that I didn't want to continue on in neuroscience, um, I did know that I had no idea what I actually wanted to do. I thought, well, if there was ever a time to become a professional race car driver, this was it. Mm-hmm. So the day after I graduated, after my last exam, I didn't even attend my graduation, I enrolled in the Bridgestone Racing Academy's mechanic training program slashed uh, race driver training program. So it was a nine-month program. So wow. I graduated university, lots of debt because I didn't know anything about money, got a, my mm-hmm. first credit card in university, mm-hmm. was racking up the bills. Yeah. And then I decided to take this nine-month program, which didn't pay you any money. Uh, I was living on my own. There were days where I was eating crackers, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner <laughs> for days on end. Oh, my God. And it was the best year of my life. <laughs> it honestly was the best year of my life working at that school and training yeah. there. Um, and then, so here's where it sort of loops into finance. So after my training year, I was uh, negotiating with the owners to maybe come back as an instructor on a part-time mm-hmm. basis. And what happened over the off-season was the general or the operations manager quit. Mm -hmm. And so they said, listen, um, we've never had someone with a degree in science or anything or any degree, quite frankly, (laughs) working at this school in the office. Um, 
would you like to maybe be the office, like the uh, the operations manager? And I said, well, maybe. What, uh, you know, what's the pay package and whatnot? And they said, well, we can't pay you a lot in terms of cash and benefits, mm-hmm. but we can give you seat time in the race cars. Ooh. And so for a broke student, uh, I thought, well, that's fantastic because now I can race yeah. and make some kind of a earn, uh, living. Living the dream right there. And so the racing school had three main lines of business. Uh, people who want to become professional race car drivers. People who just want to try it one time to see what it's like, and then corporate entertainment. Mm. So the corporate entertainment is where it sort of uh, comes back to the world of finance. Mm-hmm. So there was one guy who brought his company out all the time, and he was also trying to become a semi-professional race car driver. He, he was there all the time. <laughs> he took me aside one day and he said, "You know, when you're done wasting your time here, I want you to come work for me. I think you do really well in my world." Wow. So his original plan was for me to become a biotech stock analyst. Uh, so take the CFA, take my background in neuroscience and, you know, figure out, you know, how to model stock prices for pharma companies and whatnot. Wow. So uh, that was the path. And uh, I started studying. And then he, unfortunately for me, retired at the age of 36 from his job. So I didn't have a place to go. And so during my studies, I realized, well, now I don't have a place to go. But what I like about the stuff that I'm studying is the personal finance, the financial mm-hmm. planning aspect, the financial advising. So that's what led me to the world of finance. Mm-hmm. And how long do you still, because you became like a financial consultant or, or, or what was the kind of first job in that world? That you had? Uh, so my first job in that world was to be a mutual fund sales rep. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, after about two years, I realized that you know, the, uh, the limited product shelf, uh, was really not something that spoke to me mm-hmm. to be diplomatic. <laughs> uh, so I switched to a full service brokerage and, um, that opened up the universe of investment stocks, bonds, totally. funds, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was doing that for a couple of years and that's when I started my blog. Right. And yeah. so the impetus for the blog was I was a young guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was at a firm where you're expected to bring in, you know, million dollar clients. And so I needed a way to build credibility fast. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I looked around and I realized, well, there is actually no book on RRSPs. There's a lot of books out there that have RRSPs in the title, mm-hmm. uh, but then don't actually really spend much time talking about really? retirement saving strategies. Uh, they throw in a bunch of all this other stuff. And so I said, well, I will write the book on registered retirement savings plan strategy. So I used the blog mm-hmm. uh, to write one chapter a day for 41 days. Wow. And there's 41 chapters in the book. So if people don't want to buy the book, you just go to the blog. <laughs> then you can read the whole thing for free. Yeah. Um, and when I finished the book, I was shopping around to some journalists. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them was Jonathan Chevro. There was mm-hmm. Ellen Roseman. Send them all copies. Jonathan Chevrolet calls me up and he said, it's a pretty good book. Um, my editor wants to run excerpts. And John was at the Financial Post at the time. They want to run excerpts in the um, Financial Post on Saturdays during the month of February for Ooh. retirement savings. I was like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. Amazing. What an opportunity. He said, can you drop off an extra copy? I said, uh, absolutely. And my office isn't too far away from yours. So I'll drop it off in person. And he said, oh, great. So I met him, dropped off the book, and he said, well, while you're here, why don't we, um, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, your book? I was like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. I'm going to get interviewed. He's going to write a big piece on it. So we're talking, talking, talking. And then um, when I thought the tape recorder was off, uh, he says to me, so uh, you know, what kind of mutual funds do you buy for your clients? And I said, Jonathan, you know what? 
I don't really buy that many mutual funds. I actually focus on index funds mm-hmm. um, and just get sort of a couch potato approach yeah. for the clients and then focus on the financial planning, like cash flow, insurance, estate planning, all the other things where I think is the true advisor alpha is sort of like a catchphrase for that kind of stuff. And he said, oh, that's interesting. And so two days later, the uh, he says, yeah, it's going to run on Thursday's paper or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I remember my girlfriend went out and grabbed a copy of the paper and brought it back while I was still mm-hmm. in bed. And she, she said, I didn't open it yet. We're going to open it together and read this article. I'm like, all right, this is going to be Yay. so cool. And so it opens up uh, to the page and they had sent a photographer, by the way, to take oh, a picture. Wow. So I was like, man, this is going to be awesome. Deal. So my picture was like honestly one third of a full page oh and God. the rest of the page was all this article. But the headline said, new breed of advisors shuns mutual funds. Uh-oh. And when I read that, I was like, oh, man, that's the end of my career. Yeah, like, great. <laughs> um, and when I got to the office that day, there were a barrage of calls equally divided into people who wanted to become clients. They're okay. like, wow, great, straight shooter, awesome. And other people are saying, we would like your head on a plate. You shouldn't be saying these things. So it was a, I was a bit naive about that whole thing. But it was the best yeah. and worst moment of my life in terms of my career. Yeah. And wh- why, why do you say that? Well, because it, it sort of launched everything that's happened since then. So it got me on the map. Right. Um, and what's interesting was I had other interviews lined up from other media outlets that week. And uh, someone called uh, from public affairs and said, listen, um, <laughs> um, little issue here. Um, we really don't want you speaking to the media because you haven't been trained. And I said, well, I've got interviews lined up for the rest of the week. And sort of, I heard this sigh on the other end of the phone. <sighs> All right, we're going to send someone over tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. to do emergency media training. Oh, wow. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, so they sent someone in the morning, like an a independent consultant mm-hmm. uh, that does all the training for that firm. And we went through everything from uh, live interviews, live to tape, double enders, which is where you're, when you watch the news and you see mm-hmm. people uh, staring into the screen, um, you're in a room looking at a camera and there's no one else in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got an earpiece. So all you hear is a disembodied voice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? So that's called yep. a double ender. Oh, I know. I know a little bit about that from my teleprompting days for the news. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then we went through print interviews, yep. radio, everything, right? Yep. And so at the end of the training session, um, the person who was there from public affairs to sort of monitor said, you know what? You did pretty good, actually. Now that we know that you're not completely stupid, <laughs> um, we're actually going to line up some interviews for you. I said, mm-hmm. oh, great. And, um, and I said, what about my blog? And they said, what's a blog? This was oh, 2007, right? Come on, guys. Um, I said, oh, it's where I sort of write stuff at will without any editors involved whatsoever. And they're like, oh, yeah, you can't have one of those. Oh, no. And I said, oh, but I have like, you know, at the time, I forget, thousands of followers. Yeah. So another sigh. <sighs> All right, let me get back to you on that. So they actually did something that was quite unique, and I have to give them full credit. In fact, we ended our relationship uh, on the best of terms. Mm-hmm. They were always very good to me and always very fair. Mm-hmm. Um, what they said was, we will make you a deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you write, at the time I was writing every day, you write every day, there's no way we can send that for approval and get it turned around yeah, fast no. enough to meet your, um, you know, your output level. Yeah. So now that you've been trained, we will allow you to write whatever you want, but if you think that there's a gray area there, then send that post to us first, okay. and we'll take a look at it. If, uh, if you think that there's anything contentious there whatsoever, I said, you know what, that is really cool of you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was a great experience, but um, at the same time, I was, I was realizing that more and more people wanted to hear 
um, you know, about just financial literacy and education and whatnot. So mm-hmm. I, I left there after a couple of years and uh, branched off into the next chapter. Mm-hmm. And so you had the blog, but you started in 2012, am I right? No, what year did you start? The then? blog? Yeah, sorry. 2007. 2007, that's right. So you were actually one of the kind of original personal finance bloggers in Canada, let me um, say. Yeah, at the one time, of the big ones. At the time, there was the Canadian capitalist, <laughs> yeah. uh, another brown guy like who I no started longer... reading personal finance blogs around 2007 or something. Oh, and okay. I, you were definitely one of like the majors. I'm flattered. Well, you're welcome. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to say, yeah, Canadian capitalist, mm-hmm. uh, which I now say was written mm-hmm. by uh, Ram Balakrishnan, um, another brown guy who no longer writes his blog. So mm-hmm. maybe, it's a, maybe it's a brown blogger thing. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, there was him. There was Alan Witten, who writes um, Canadian Finances. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was Million Dollar Journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all those guys are like the the old school guys that yeah. I remember at the time. Yeah, yeah there was yeah. weren't as many as there are now. That's for sure. There's a lot now, yeah. which is great. I can't I love, keep up with you, kiddos. No, no, there's there's <laughs> too many to keep up with. But it's it's nice to see people are talking about it. Yeah, because no one was talking about it when I started reading blogs because there right. weren't that many blogs. So. So, okay, so um, this was also an important uh, fork in the road. Yeah. So I was driving to work one day, and my girlfriend called up, and she said, honey, I just heard that the W Network is holding an open casting call for people who want to be on-air talent. Mm-hmm. I thought, wow, that's great. Um, you know, let me know how I can help you out, sweetheart. Uh- <laughs> and she said, no, stupid, it's for you. I think you should apply to be their money expert. Wow. And the reason she thought this was, and this is a bit of a backstory. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's too long. You can totally edit this out later. I'm not gonna. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let's just so, keep going. Let's keep going. <laughs> so I was working at a company and um, there was some event a bunch of us in the office were supposed to go to and we arranged for a limo to pick us all up and, and leave to go downtown. And so I'm waiting at reception for the limo and the receptionist, whose name is Brenda, if you're listening. Um, I hope Brenda's listening She right said, now. oh, Preet, the, uh, the limo left. You're going to have to find your own way there. And I was freaking out. I was like, wow, there's no way I can make it there on time. And then she said, ah, April Fool's. <laughs> and so I turned to her, just like dead eyes. I said, I will get you back. <laughs> and that's the last I ever said to her of it until the following April. So what I did yeah. was I recruited a friend of mine to go in and also her boss, uh, so two separate people. And I said to her boss, I said, listen, I need you to convince Brenda that Rogers local TV is coming in to do a special uh, interview on women in the financial services. Mm-hmm. And she said, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I said, just go with it. Just go with it. Uh, she said, all right. So I sent my friend in. Uh, we'll call him Andy because that is his name. And uh, so he went in and interviewed Brenda as if he was this person from this TV show. And what we had did, uh, done was we had designed these questions um, that would hopefully elicit a wide range of answers. So he went in, he filmed this interview, we took all the footage, mm-hmm. and we, we cut out all, we wrote down every single word, every sentence that she said. We cut up all the different sentences and put them on the floor and said, all right, now, how do we rearrange this and ask new questions with me asking the questions to make it look like she's killing her boss. Oh, that's amazing. So it took us days and days and days. <laughs> and uh, and we did it. And it's fantastic, if I do say so myself. <laughs> so on April Fool's, uh, I had her boss say, here, that video from Rogers um, arrived. They finally did the interview. Here it is. Oh so she puts God. it into her computer. And once she realizes that she had been punked like no one has ever been punked before, she laughed so hard they had to send her home. Oh, my God. Yeah. And just to make the story complete, her manager is my girlfriend now. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) 
That's, so that is one good April Fool's. So that video production yeah. uh, was the reason why she thought, well, yeah. you guys had so much fun making that video. Why don't you apply yeah. for this video? And to be honest, um, I really had no inclination of doing it. Mm-hmm. So my friend and I, we were getting together, having fun. Uh, we went on the internet and watched the other submissions that had already been posted. And we watched them and we kind of thought, you know what? everyone's kind of stiff here. Mm-hmm. Let's make another funny video just for the sake of making a funny video. Mm-hmm. No intention of winning. So uh, 700 people entered this contest. Mm-hmm. They whittled it down to 20. Wow. Uh, those 20 were selected to do a follow-up video where they sent a camera crew. And what you had to do was um, they would tell you like 10 minutes before they shot what you were going to be doing. So I had to walk around Scarborough with a sandwich board sign that said free money advice. So I had to go <laughs> and give people free money advice. Those 20 videos were voted again to the top seven. Top seven had their own reality TV show called The Ultimate W Expert Search. I was mm-hmm. one of the competitors. Again, entering thinking, this is so surreal. There's yeah. no way the How money guy is going to win. Yeah. There's no way the money guy is going to win. I was competing against hairdressers, mm-hmm. uh, interior designers, uh, all this stuff. I'm like, mm-hmm. there's no way the money guy is going to win. <laughs> Just have fun with it. Yeah. So again, I, because I had so much fun with it, I wasn't too worried about it. I ended up winning. That's crazy. <laughs> and That's the, awesome. And the prize was a development deal for my own show. Mm-hmm. And to make a long story short, um, that parlayed into hosting the Million Dollar Neighborhood on the Oprah Winfrey yeah. Network. Damn. Yes, that's, that's how it all came about. That's amazing. So you just kind of, yeah, let's just go with it. You yeah. Just, Kind of not chase the opportunity, but just, you know, are open to... Listen, neuroscience, auto racing, finance, applying for reality TV. Clearly, I've never had a five-year plan. (laughs) (laughs) Which is probably great because, yeah, you know, sometimes if you plan too far in advance, you'll kind of miss a lot of opportunities that... I wouldn't know. know? (laughs) I I take the uh, shiny ball philosophy of career management. (laughs) Ooh, what's that? Ooh, what's that? Uh, and so that, I guess, eventually led into a couple things, including you started a podcast. Yes. And then you eventually wrote the book, Stop Overthinking Your Money. Yeah. So uh, I've had two podcasts now. Mm-hmm. Um, the first was the Where Does All My Money Go internet radio show. Um, I forget how many episodes I put out. Um, is it on iTunes or anything? It or? probably still is. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know if they delete shows, so I'll try to take a look. It was probably worthy of being deleted. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was my first crack at the kick at the can. Um, and then I took a hiatus for a while, and then I relaunched um, the podcast as Mostly Money, Mostly Canadian. And uh, for any of my listeners who happen to be listening to this, mm-hmm. I know I'm a little bit behind in publishing the next episode. Like, in fact, big time. Yeah, I knew I know. it was December 2014 when you're like, <laughs> I'll be right back, guys. We're yeah. waiting. Yeah, I even had this sort of big announcement. I was like, you know what? I'm back into it. I've got the mojo again. <laughs> I've got a lineup of great guests. And I'm going to be coming at you uh, on a regular basis. Yeah, it didn't happen. No. Eight months later, here I am. I um, but the, the podcasts have been fun. Um, and so when you asked me to be on, I was excited. Yay. And maybe this will give me the motivation to start my own podcast again. I hope so. And That'd you'll be have awesome. to be my guest. I will totally be on it. And you can tell me all about Mo Money and Mo Houses. I have I have Little Money and No Houses. Right. <laughs> that should be my blog name. Little Money and No Houses. But <laughs> work it, I'm working it. You know, I'm trying to get there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, let's kind of talk about your book because I was... It was nice when you did release it last year, contacted me to review it, and I did a review on my blog, and, yeah. and I really liked it because it was just a very straightforward, listen, if you want to get your stuff organized, do these things. Right. Of course, I still have to do some of those things. What? Like, I know, I know, I know. Like, seriously, right after, I'm like, Josh, we need to get life insurance, and we need to get a will, and we still haven't. 
Are you shitting me? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Sorry, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Uh, You'll yeah, edit it out. Fine, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll have you know that my podcast I'll is. The, I'll put the little e on there. Yes, for mine, you, okay? mine are explicit. No, I know. Yeah, you can swear <laughs> on here now. That's fine. You ruined it. No. Sorry. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but no, I know. I know. I'm bad. But it's 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 on the list of things. So what's to do. your what's your rationale for not getting the life insurance right now? Um, I think I have. I have. I I know I have some with my employer. But Josh does not. Um, so yeah, laziness is really the excuse. It's, there's no excuse. There I'm was. Sorry. Uh, I'm really sorry for disappointing you, Preet. <laughs> you know what? This this comes down to one of the points that I make in the book is that personal finance is 90% psychology mm-hmm. and 8% math mm-hmm. or knowledge, mm-hmm. and the missing two percent is a testament to how unimportant the math or the knowledge is. It's really about these behavioral processes that get in the way of us doing the things that we know we have to do. So, you know what? I know a guy who works on Bay Street who's worth millions of dollars, smart, financially savvy guy, married, two kids, and uh, and I was chatting to him about estate planning, and he said, you know, I got to admit, we still don't have wills. We still don't have, you know, X, Y, Z, powers of attorney. Like, how is this possible? I you know. work on Bay Street working mm-hmm. in finance. Yeah. How is this even possible? Right. So it's clearly not solely knowledge. Mm-mm. It's that some kind of behavioral drive that needs to be instilled into people. And, you know, one of the things that um, life insurance agents uh, will say to people who are sort of on the fence about getting some types of insurance that they need is uh, they'll, they'll give them one of these sales lines like, all right, make you a deal. You tell me the day you're going to die and I'll pop over the night before and I'll write up all your insurance. <laughs> and of course, you can see the flaw in that logic. The point is you don't know when you're going to yeah. die. That's the whole point. So, yeah. Jessica, do you know when you're going to die? No, I don't. <laughs> Ergo, you should be getting I'll get it tomorrow, I all promise. your ducks in a row. Yeah, you were not going to get it tomorrow. <laughs> Monday, I'll start Monday. <laughs> yeah, you won't. <laughs> it is on my list, though. I swear it really is. I oh, really... So, so so let's say you die. Okay. And uh, Josh is you know taking care of all your affairs. Yeah. Um, are you going to go to an insurance company and say, hey, listen, and it was on Jessica's list. It's on her to-do list. It's yeah. on her wonder list account. Right. Does this account for anything? If we get like, you know, 100 grand, 200 grand, 50 know, bucks, 5 I bucks? Know, I know. It's terrible. I know. It's terrible. I so? Know. I'm going to do it. I promise. Are you? Yeah. All right. Are you- I'll write about it to prove to you. Okay. okay Once I, like I do it, I will write a blog post be like, I listen. Like what about it. disability insurance? Because you know in the book, yeah, one of no, the first things I start. Also. I do have it. What through my, the I have hell? It my, I have it through my employer though. Okay. But yeah, no, for Josh, no, I swear to God. When I finished reading it, I gave it uh, to him. I think he read half of it. Don't judge him. He doesn't read too much. But uh, I'm like, Josh, for real, you need to get disability insurance because if something you know goes wrong with your ears, you won't have a job anymore. If you're well, actually, if you does everyone know that Josh off. does oh, he's, yeah, something yeah, he's that involves? I think his... you all know he's an audio engineer. Okay, possibly. <laughs> I was going to say, that's an odd statement. If something goes wrong with your ears, we're financially screwed. (laughs) What does he do? Yeah, so it's like he actually does, you know, if he loses, you know, mobility with his hands or his ears or sight, really all the important things, he, you know, won't be able to make any money. So I'll talk to him tonight. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, I'll get on that. That's, oh, yeah. Damn. <laughs> That's what I do. That's what you do. Yeah. And it works. It works, man. <laughs> you just got to keep it simple. You know, that these I are the know. fundamental things that people have to do. And I think the title of the book kind of sums it all up. Stop overthinking it. It's Yeah, because I think, and that, that's part of the reason why I like personal finance so much is 
for me, I like the simplicity of it. I don't like when it gets crazy complex. That's when I start to drift off and think about other things. I like the the basics, and that's mm-hmm. why I liked your book so much because it's like literally just do these things and you'll be fine. There's yeah. five. The uh, the reason that I wrote the book in that style um, has to sort of do with my uh, transformation as a personal finance mm-hmm. blogger mm-hmm. to the things that I started doing after that. Mm-hmm. So when I started my blog, it was very technical. I loved mm-hmm. writing about you know advanced investment, all the mm-hmm. stuff that and you would fine, hate. Because lots of people love that. Stuff. Well, no, no, a few oh, people okay. do, not a lot. Okay. that's the whole point. I just point. assume a lot of people like that. I no, guess. no, okay. not really, not in terms of the percentage of the population. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, in. 2010, there was a Globe and Mail contest for best blogs, Mm -hmm. and in the investing category, my blog won. And that, to make a long story short, parlayed into me writing for the Globe and Mail in their personal finance Mm -hmm. section. So I started writing for them, and the first few... columns that I submitted, they said, listen, this is, you got to dumb this down. This isn't your personal finance blog, blog mm-hmm. where you can get all nerdy to yeah. the nth degree. You got to make this uh, appealing to a wider audience. I'm mm-hmm. like, all right. So I, it took me a while to get used to that. Uh, after a couple of months, the editor of the life section mm-hmm. contacted me and they said, we're doing a revamp of life. Every Tuesday, we're going to do a money feature. Mm. Uh, would you like to write the money feature for the life section? I'm like, sure. And so I submitted my first column for that, and they said, oh, sorry, this isn't going to work. I said, why? You've used numbers. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I'm like, not allowed. Okay. Oh, so like, yeah, listen, you got you to gotta bring it down uh, mm-hmm. a notch in terms of how technical you get, yeah. even from the personal finance section, um, to, re- to reach a, a much broader audience. And it was interesting. Um, I forget where I heard the story, and I don't even know if it's true anymore. It's been so long. Mm-hmm. But I heard that when Stephen Hawking was writing his book, A Brief History of Time, mm-hmm. his editor said, for every single formula that you put in that book, cut your audience in half. Oh. So if, you have, if your potential audience is, let's say it's 10 million, because I think he sold 10 million books, mm-hmm. and you put one formula in there, it'll be 5 million. You put two, it'll be two and a half million, and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. if you make a book about physics... With a lot of formulas, which you would kind of think, well, isn't that, that the point? kind mm-hmm. of what you yeah. would do? You're not going to have a lot of people read it. And so for that reason, the only equation that's in that book is E equals MC squared. Wow. And really? everything else is explained yeah. in plain language, mm-hmm. which is an incredibly difficult thing to do. I don't know if you've read that book or not, but um, no, the concepts but. <laughs> in there are mind-blowing. And yet he doesn't use a lot of math, right? Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. So, so that was the approach with the book, was to also just make things as relatable to the Accessible. most number of people possible. And that means do not get into the specifics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the premise of the book was, I believe that most people have a C or a C minus when it comes to their personal finances. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people who will spend a lot of time reading a lot of books and blogs and whatnot, trying to get an A plus with everything, with their investing, mm-hmm. their budgeting and what have you. But I think the vast majority of people would rather have an easy A. So yeah. that book, those five rules are designed to get you an easy A. Yeah. And if you want that to get an A plus in any of those you know, categories, you can do that. And I sort of give you, yeah. you know, resources where you can go. Yeah. This is just here's the basic stuff you need to know yeah. uh, to get you that easy A with your personal finances. And if you are one of the few people that wants to go on and spend the time to get that A plus, you can do it. You're not going to get it in this book, but this is the basics. Mm-hmm. Which is great because I think, yeah, it's, yeah, you do reach a broader audience. But for me, you know, being a millennial and just thinking of like my younger sister who's, still university it's like that is a good book to give to someone that's like 
if you're kind of scared about, ah, oh, what does being an adult mean? And what does money mean? And all that stuff. This is a good starting point mm-hmm. for like, just do these things. And this is a good starting point. It's not scary. And then you can kind of move on to educate yourself on this, this, and this. And I think it's hard to find a book kind of like that. Cause when I started getting in personal finance, I read a lot of blogs. I did read some books and some of them scared the crap out of me. Cause I'm like, I don't think I'm doing adult life. Right. <laughs> like, oh, like honestly, I'm not, not even joking when I was like, Oh, how old was I? I don't know, 21 or something. I remember Googling how to be an adult because right. like, what are the things that I need to do? So I, <laughs> you know, like those people keep talking about RSPs. What is that? Right. I feel like I need it though. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I can tell you that that feeling never really goes away. I mean, I still, <laughs> I, mean, I still, I'm not, I feel like I'm a few years out of university in terms of, you know, mentally, <laughs> um, physically, you know, things change, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, and I look at like, I don't have kids, so I think that's mm-hmm. a big part of it. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of friends that have children or whatnot, and they just seem grown up, mm-hmm. you know, whereas I still don't have a five-year plan. I am sort of flying by the seat of my pants. I'm having a hell of a fun time, yeah, though. I'm not going to be working out just <laughs> fine, so I wouldn't really worry about right. it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today. I think we had an awesome conversation. I think so, yeah. Hopefully we didn't bore everyone to death. Well, uh, we'll find out if I guess no so. one listens. Right. And you're going <laughs> to get back to me on your life insurance, Josh's yeah, disability I promise. insurance? Yeah, You'll be the first text message. Really? You'll be like, Preet, I did it. All right. Excellent. I expect like a happy face emoticon after that. <laughs> <laughs> Changing people's lives, sometimes for the better. Mm-hmm. So nice to talk to Preet about his journey and just his success. And, uh, also his awesome book, which I am giving away a copy of. So make sure to check out my show notes for obviously show notes of this episode, but also a chance to enter a contest to win a copy of his awesome book, Stop Overthinking Your Money. So make sure to go to momoneymohouses.com slash 17 for the show notes for this episode. And if you want to check out all of the episodes up until now, and show notes for those episodes, just go to momoneymohouses.com slash podcast. And of course, to find out more about Preet, you can check out his website, preetbanerjee.com. And there's also links to his podcast that he needs to resurrect. So maybe if we all get together and just tweet at him and tell him, listen, come on, he'll start it up again. On that note, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next Wednesday. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.